Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Who got their shirts? Yeah? There was a long line. Um, so after service today, uh, those are going to be available to you. You guys seem really, like, unenthusiastic today. And I'm, and I'm yeah, okay, well, there's, something's happening. Uh, and I'm feeling very enthusiastic, and we've got a lot to cover, and we're going to move quickly. Okay, so I need everybody to turn to Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Now, I regret to tell you uh, that in this series that we've been in, uh, I've been studying Daniel, and I've really wanted to camp out in, in Daniel's chapter 2 through 5. I was urged yesterday by Eric to keep pressing forward, but uh, I reached out to him. I said, man, should I, should I do Daniel chapter 2 and then 3 and then 4? Like, should I do all that? And uh, he, he warned me that we need to stay on task, or we're never going to get back to Acts. Okay, so we are going to go to Daniel chapter 6 today. But the, the point of the, the Righteous Remnant series this series that we've, we've paused to look at, has been to focus on what Ezekiel meant when he referred to Noah, Daniel, and Job as uniquely righteous. Okay, those names were called out specifically. These men were isolated and called, called out because they are different than uh, people from other generations. They stood out among their generation, their era, their age, uh, times in which wickedness prevailed, these men stood as lights and beacons in a dark and gloomy world, headed towards judgment. And so we've been looking at these different men. We looked at Noah. We looked at Daniel last week. Now, briefly, I want to uh, mention to you again our definition, our working definition for a righteous remnant. Okay? So what is a righteous remnant? First and foremost, it's a believer who stands alone in order to stand for God. It's a believer who stands alone in order to stand for God. The thing about all these men that we've been looking at, despite the fact that, that, that the people around them were not following God, did not change the course of their life. They chose to press on, and they were very comfortable with the idea of being lonely among a world of wickedness. They were willing to stand out. They were willing to be called out. They were willing to be put down. They stood alone. Another thing that we said is a believer uh, that is a righteous remnant is someone who trades temporary pain for long-term peace with God. All right, so you've got to, if, you, if you're going to live in a world that's going to be antagonistic against your faith, and you're going to live in a world where you are going to stand alone, then you also have to be prepared to suffer whatever may come your way, and we're not very good at that. In fact, that's the main reason why we're looking at this, seri uh, this series on a righteous remnant is because for many of us, we love the idea of living a comfortable Christian life. And we are opposed to suffering for Christ's sake. And so we find ways to live a, co a, a comfortable existence in this world. We can still call ourselves Christian, but we don't want to endure any of the hardship that is supposed to come along with that. We're promised that. And so we've been talking about how someone who is willing to be a righteous remnant is someone who is willing to trade temporary pain for long-term peace with God. So here's our mindset. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 is the mindset that we need. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 
So the more, uh, the more ways in which you're tethered to this world, the more in danger you are of suffering pain, suffering loss. The less tethers you have to this world, the, the, the less areas of your life that are dependent on this world, its system, the less connections you have to it, the more you can live outside of it, and there's freedom there. Now last week we definitely saw this in the character of Daniel as a remnant he was in exile before exiles, okay? The, the nation of Israel had not yet been exiled from Jerusalem. That hadn't taken place yet. But he and a group of his peers were exiled. They were pulled out of Jerusalem, taken out of the context of their life. He was a man with very few companions. He was a man that was forced into a culture that contradicted his own faith. And what we saw is an, an, an amazing example for us. Even as a young man, he was unwilling to yield to the pressures of his new world. So let's look at this very first key point for today. This is a review key point. The righteous remnant is unmoved by cultural coercion. Are you guys with me? See, Daniel faced the cultural pressures of a re-education system. Remember, he was pulled out of his world and he was placed into uh, a, a school for, for eunuchs uh, to be a part of a group called the Chaldeans. It was a unique group of men who, who served as advisors to the, to, the, to the Babylonian Empire. And this would have been an elite position. But he was pulled from his world and placed in an entirely new setting where they were trying to change the way he thinks about the world. They wanted to change his worldview. They wanted to change the way he believed. They wanted to put him in new clothes. They wanted to give him a new language. They wanted to change everything about his life. And when he was asked to eat at the king's table, knowing that the food wouldn't meet the requirements of the Mosaic law and was likely food that was sacrificed to the false god Marduk, he refused it. He refused it in order to stand by his convictions and remain faithful to his God. Now that's a big deal. That's a big deal. He was willing to go hungry. He was willing to put his own body at physical expense in order to be obedient. Now, my question for you, and the question that we were left with last week, is how faithful are you? What are you willing to endure to remain faithful to your God? In the last service, we heard Troy preach. It was a powerful message about the suffering that Christ was willing to endure on our behalf, how faithful he was to us to become the man of sorrows. Are you willing to become a man or a woman of sorrows on his behalf? Many of us aren't. Chapter 1 of Daniel tells us of how he thrived on water and vegetables. I mean, I am unwilling. Okay, I just want to say I'm unwilling. I mean, if I had to, I, I, I'd like to believe that I would. But, but right now in my life, the only reason I'm eating vegetables is to be a good example to my children. Right? So I do it. I endure it. But no, Daniel only took in water and vegetables. And the chief, the chief eunuch looked at him and said, how is it that you're so much stronger than all the men that have been, have been eating from the king's table day after day after day after day? He was an exception. And God was there for him. And what Daniel showed us last week is that it is possible 
to be in this world, but not of this world. We can do that. We can live that way. We can thrive in this world despite the fact that it hates us and it doesn't own us and it doesn't belong to us. And despite all the pressures of our world, we can remain faithful to God. Now, by way of introduction to, to today's sermon, we're going to ask ourselves, how does a righteous remnant respond when their worship is being threatened? And in chapter 6, we're going to see Daniel's worship threatened, threatened by authorities in his life, governmental authorities, in fact. And we're going to see that how he responds. So the question for us today is, what are you going to do and how are you going to live when your worship is threatened? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we need you. I need you. I can already tell, Lord, that, that uh, Lord, this, this morning my, my words feel a little stumbly and I feel a little bit um, unclear in my thoughts. And I know that that's just my flesh. And my flesh doesn't, doesn't own me. And, Lord, you have the power to over, override my flesh. And you have the ability to speak through me despite the fact that I might maybe not feel great or or my, my, my attention might be stolen away by other things. Lord, you have a, a message that you want to communicate today, and I yield myself to that. And Lord, I pray that we would all yield ourselves to that, Lord, that we would be provoked by your word, and Lord, that we would be ready to hear and to respond to whatever it is that you're telling us today. Lord, there is a mission in this world. And I like to believe that the young, the young people in this room, Lord, that they've counted that cost. And many of them have already said, Lord, I want to be a, a mission-minded believer. I want to go to the campuses. I want to go to the classroom. I want to go to my workplace. I want to, I want to go through the streets of Kansas City, and I want to preach the gospel everywhere I go. I want to invite people to study the word, uh, the word with me. I want, to, I want to disciple. I want to love and invest and minister to my community. I want to see Kansas City converted for your namesake. Many of them say that with their mouth and in their mind, and they say it. They say it maybe at some level with their lives, but Lord, all of us have things that we're holding back. And there are, there are aspects of our life where we are absolutely tethered to this world. We are held back by our fears, by our anxiety. And Lord, these things prevent us from truly giving everything up and being the righteous remnant that we are. This world is antagonistic against our faith. They hate what we believe. This election cycle has absolutely proved that we live in a world that is, that is proactively working against what we believe. And so here we are. We lay ourselves before you. Lord, give us the strength to tr transcend our experience, our circumstances, and our culture and live beyond that. Let us be righteous in this generation. In a world that is wicked and dark, let us be those beacons. Help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be like Noah. Help us to endure like Job. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Sorry, my notes reset. I waited too long. Okay, so here we are in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. And I want to first start by talking about the world in which Daniel found himself. Things have changed a lot over uh, the, the course of these few chapters. And it's a new day in Babylon. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar who was the, the ruling emperor at the time of chapter 1, has long passed away. And several leaders have come and go, gone uh, in this time that Daniel's been in the kingdom of Babylon, including this guy named Bel, uh, Belshazzar. Now, some of you may or may not be familiar with this story, but in the previous chapter, this guy named Belshazzar, who's 
who is a grandson of, of Nebuchadnezzar, is in power and, and is in rule. And he's having a party late one night. You know, you know, the way emperors do, partying. And they're drinking wine out of the vessels of the temple, the ones that they stole away from Jerusalem. Remember that? They're drinking wine from these vessels, and they're mocking our God. Okay, late into the night. They're having a good old time. And then suddenly, a hand appears, and there's writing on the wall. And no one can decipher it. And so they call in Daniel, and they ask him to tell them what it means. And what he tells Belshazzar is that the Medes and the per, uh, Persians are coming. And they're going to take Babylon. And that very night, while, while everyone's partying and having a good time, Darius shows up. And Belshazzar's life is taken from him, and in one night, the kingdom is converted to the Medo-Persian Empire. It's pretty amazing. This might be one of the, the fastest prophetic turnarounds in all of Scripture. I don't know. Someone maybe have to find another one. But it happens so quickly, right? The prophecy comes, and then that same night, the empire is turned over. But after 70 years of service, so Darius is sitting on the throne, and after 70 years of Daniel's service in Babylon, and he's, he's gone through multiple rulers at this point, several people have sat on the throne since Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's very old, and he's probably thinking about retirement. I would be, right? Like, at what point do I get to maybe just sit down and retire to the comfort of my home? But there's a great value placed on Daniel. He's a, he's a man of great reputation, and Darius wants to bring him into his kingdom as well and have Daniel serve as an advisor just like he's always done. And Daniel's reputation had long preceded him, and he's a man that's seen uh, as having great wisdom in the court of Darius. Let's look at Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the, the whole kingdom. So this is, the, this is describing the structure in which Darius rules. He's got all of these uh, princes serving over different aspects of the kingdom. And over these three uh, presidents, so over these princes, there were three presidents who sat over them, one of which was Daniel. He was the first that the princes might have accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel's in integrity shined brightly even when the tide of culture and kingdom changed constantly. And this is what I want to tell you right now, okay? So let's try to make this applicable. I'm going to move so fast here through the story, I'm afraid that some of the application is going to get lost on us if we, don't, if we don't pause for a second here. So what we're describing here is a kingdom in which Daniel lived where things were constantly changing. The rulers were constantly changing. The culture was constantly changing. And yet, it's funny, Daniel never changes. You know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, it tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Basically what that means is, if you're torn two different directions, if your mind and your heart are pulled in two different philosophical, conceptual worldviews, and maybe you're living one way here and living another way here, if you're double-minded in that way, your life is going to be incredibly unstable all the time. And some of us in this room, we know in our heart of hearts right now, we know we're that kind of person. We're torn between two versions of ourselves. 
But you know, there's an implication about that verse. We can reverse that. and We can say that a single-minded person, a single-minded believer is actually stable in all, all their ways. And so for Daniel, despite all of the changes in his world, he's always the same dude. He's always a man of high integrity. He's always a man of faith. He's always a man that turns to the Lord in prayer. He's always a man that is unwilling to compromise in, face of, in the face of temptation. He's always that guy. And some of us struggle with that. Key point. A righteous remnant's character and actions are unchanging because their king is unchanging. We have the ability, we have the capacity to be unchanging, unmovable, stable in all our ways. Because we serve a king that's unchanging. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's always been the same. His ambitions have always been the same. And if we serve that king rather than the kings of this world, rather than ourself maybe, if we serve him, then our life too can be stable and unchanging. You know, a few years ago I was teaching at the high school uh, during the 2016 elections. And I noticed after the election, there was one young lady who seemed, her countenance just seemed to be low day after day after day after the election. And she didn't want to talk about it. You know how I am. A lot of you know how I am. I was, I was very warmly prying because I love her, right? I care for her. And I saw that, that she was in despair, that she was upset. And so after a few days, she finally opened up to me and she told me that she was very concerned about the way that the election had turned out. Now, I, I tried to meet her in that place, and I tried to meet her with faith and, and, and try to explain this fact to her, this, this truth that I want, I want to convey to you this morning. In your lifetime, you will see many world powers come and go. This world is always changing. That's part of Satan's ploy. Is if the culture is unstable, you're going to be unstable. If the authorities are unstable, you're going to be unstable. It's part of his plan for you. But these powers and these cultures, they're going to come and go. But no powers of this earth should ever have the power to persuade you past your faith. They, sh they should never have that power over you. Because your God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. And your faith and your character and your act actions ought to reflect that truth. Now here we are again at the precipice of another election cycle, right? We're gonna be voting in a month. And I wanna tell you right now, I hate to, I'm, I'm not a political person and this is not a political conversation. I don't even care about that. I don't even care about that. But from a biblical perspective, I wanna tell you that no matter what happens come election day, your God is still on the throne. And I want to say this too. I want to point this out. That if we're going to be peaceable ministers in this world, all, a lot of us are going to line up in November. And we're going to, we're, I mean, we're going to go vote. And I don't care anything about what you do in that ballot box. I don't care anything about that. You get to make that decision. But I want to say this. You've got one short life to live. And as a remnant people in this world, every aspect of our life ought to be informed by the fact that we want to spread the gospel and, and worship. 
And as much as possible, we want our elected officials to let us live peaceably in this world so that we can subvert it. So that we have the capacity to subvert our culture and our kingdom for the sake of the gospel, just like Paul did, working under the radar as much as possible so that we might share the gospel with as many people as we can. And that's the society that we want. Does that make sense? That's the world that we want. So I don't really care as much about the name that exists in the presidency or whatever it might be. I don't care about that. I care about living in a world where I can share the gospel freely, that I can open my mouth, that I can worship, that I'm not, I'm not concerned about someone coming in and shutting down our church because of COVID or whatever it might be. Does that make sense? I want the liberty to share the gospel. Now, with that said, I beseech you that regardless of who's in power, Christians ought to not lose their minds. No, none of us get to go into uh, to depression, at, you know, whenever they decide who actually wins the election. None of us should go into depression for that. None of us should be distraught because our, our king still reigns. Look at... Well, I'll just read it. I don't think it's on the screen. But Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. There's this prophecy that uh, is given to Nebuchadnezzar. This is part of what I'd like to have studied. But, but this, this passage is amazing because what Daniel's doing is he's describing to Nebuchadnezzar. He's explaining to him how the kingdom is going to be taken from Nebuchadnezzar. And it's going to be given to all of these other kingdoms. Like, there's the, the, the kingdoms of the Gentiles, they're going to come and go, and this is how it's going to look. And there's this description, there's a statue, we'll get into it someday. Okay, we'll do a, a prophecy series at some point. Amen. Yeah? Eric and I will do a prophecy series at some point. <laughs> but what he's describing to Nebuchadnezzar is how the kingdoms are going to change. They're always changing. And this is what he says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And with that knowledge, we ought to live. Whatever may come. You understand? I really hope you understand that. I really hope you understand that. All right, let's continue on. Now, Darius, he favors Daniel. He favors him. And he, he gives him this, this position in his kingdom. But not everybody's real stoked about that. Not everybody's really happy about that. The other guys, the other, the other presidents, these other princes, they're really concerned about their power, as politicians generally are. And so they don't love the idea of Daniel, this guy who's kind of a holdover from the past kingdom, a Jewish exile, they don't like the idea that, that virtue of his own reputation, that he somehow gets the, the first seat. He gets the right hand next to the king. They don't like that. Verse 4 says, Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could, could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. See, they want to find a way to have him removed. And the easiest way to do that is to, to devise a plot that takes advantage of some sort of gap or weakness in his life. Right? That's not any different than today, is it? That's how politicians work today. I mean, I can't, even on the streaming networks, I cannot avoid 
these commercials, they're everywhere, right? And they're constantly talking trash on each other. See, politicians are constantly poking at the moral failures of their opponents. And they know that if they can uncover some sort of great character flaw or deficiency, then this is going to give them the upper hand, right? And these guys are thinking the same way. But here's the deal. But, but to, Daniel's great frust- or to Daniel's enemy's great frustration, they couldn't find anything against him. The only thing that they could find against him was his faithful obedience to God. The guy's squeaky clean in in every aspect of his life. And the only point of weakness that they can find is also Daniel's greatest strength. Isn't that crazy? And I wonder, when when I think about this, I wonder if that's how people perceive us. Like if people were to ask, can you find the flaws with Lindsay or with Brandon or, or with Wyatt? or if, if, if you could find the flaws about them, just record them down, write them down. How many flaws and how many faults could they find against you? How many areas of sin or wickedness or, or moral failure that you have? I mean, I think for me, people would find them. I think that someone would be able to devise quite the list. But for Daniel, that wasn't the case. I wish people could say about me that the greatest weakness about me is how I love Jesus. I wish that that was the greatest weakness about me. Is my absolute, unfailing, undying, silly and foolish devotion to my Savior. What a testimony that would be. His conspirators decided that the only way to exploit him would be to take advantage of his uncompromising beliefs. And this is where they found he was most vulnerable. Now, the enemies of darkness played this same game against you. Did you know that? You've got three great conspirators. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly against you. They are conspiring against you all the time. And they're looking at the weaknesses of your life, and they're looking for the areas within the armor that are weak. And they're going to exploit those things. And so what sanctification means, in other words, the following of Jesus Christ, a life of discipleship, what that means is you're trying to shore up the areas of weakness in your life that the enemy can exploit. That's what we ought to be doing. That's how we ought to be living. That's the sanctified life. Now, you've got to know that these, these, these three conspirators are against you all the time, and they're looking to sift you. So that you're no longer a part of the remnant, they want to bring you into Babylon. We find today, as much as in any other generation before us, believers that are easily falling prey to the temptations of the world. And the world, this is what the world wants to say. This is what they want to say about you. They want to say, see, they're no different than me. There was nothing special ever about that God. That's what they want to say about you. Now, obviously, we know that regardless of your failure, our God is good and big. And you are going to fail, and God is still going to be on the throne. And that doesn't, Your failure, ab- absolutely, human failure, absolutely, at the end of the day, has nothing to do with how great God is. You just suck, and he's just awesome. That's how it works. Okay? But at the exact same time, Paul had some insight on this. Paul had some insight on this. First Thessalonians 
chapter 5, verse 22 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, why does it say that? Because God is demanding that you be perfect all the time? No, 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 no. This is a mindset. I want to live a sanctified life because I don't want the, the lost world to be able to point a finger at me and say, see, that's why their God doesn't work. Because ultimately, if God doesn't work in your life, that's just your decision. You make the decision whether or not God is gonna, is God, God is gonna be awesome through you. You make that decision whether or not you yield your members to him and believe him full of faith. You get to decide whether or not that God is visible in your life. And many of us right now, we recognize that God is not visible in our lives. You should, you should do something about that. Like, I don't, I don't know how to be any more clear. We're going to give an invitation at the end of this service. And if you recognize that God is not being glorified in your life and that people can see aspects of your life that are immoral and contradict your faith, you ought to come forward and do what we call repent. It's a biblical word. It just means turn away. It means to come before God and say, God, I want to be different. I want to follow you. And this aspect of my life, it's been tethered to the world. This part of my flesh, I've, 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 I've constantly ignored it. I recognize that, that it doesn't glorify you, and I want to turn away from it, and I want to turn to you, and I want you to take this from me. I'm not trying to be perfect right now, God. I'm not trying to be awesome. You're the only one that's awesome. I'm just saying that this aspect of my life that's incongruent with who you are, and I need you to change it. And so I purpose to turn away today. That's what repentance is. And some of you need to make that decision at the end of service today to come forward and work that thing out. I just want to put that out there. But we are to abstain from all appearance the way that Daniel does. Look at verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the, uh, to the king and said thus unto him. So here's their plan. This is the plot. This is the scheme. You ready? Pay close attention. King Darius, live forever. Okay, so all the brown nosing going on, right? All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Okay, so, so here's the plan. There's three parts to this plan. The first thing is, propose a law that spoils the pride of Darius. Smart. Okay, guys, let's gather up. When we create this plan, when we, when we, when we put this decree together, first and foremost, if we want, if we want to, to, to fast-track this decree, this law, the best thing we can do is to, to construct it in a way that favors the ruler because he's going to love that. Y'all know that's how it works, right? <laughs> that's how it works. So that's the first thing. That was smart. That was clever on their part. Now it backfires on them later. But, uh, you know, kings like their ego strokes, okay? Uh, we, we learned that. Remember in Acts chapter 12, remember King Herod? In Acts chapter 12, he's walking around in his garments and, the, and people are saying, oh, wow, look at King Herod. He's like a god. He's like a god before men. What happened to King Herod? He died. He didn't just die. The worms, I don't, look, I don't, I don't understand what was going on there. It's disgusting, okay? <laughs> worms just like start eating the guy. It's gross. God doesn't like pride. 
Be careful of pride. Be careful of pride. The next thing is that they want the, the law that they establish to entrap Daniel. They know that. Okay, so it has to be something that's going to set him up and trap him. Third, it needs to be a law that has the harshest punishment possible because they don't want Daniel to come back into a position. If he just gets his hand slapped, come on. It's got to be better than that. We've got to take this guy out. Okay, so this decree that they put together has all of those components. Okay, and basically it says this. If, if anyone in the kingdom for the next 30 days petitions anyone else, a god or a man, that's not you, O King Darius, then they need to be thrown to the lions. And King Darius, full of pride, signs off. Done. The deal is done. So they'd succeeded in phase one of their plan. Now, what they have to do next is that they have to actually entrap Daniel and catch him in the act. You understand? Okay, so they got the, the laws in place, but they've, they've, got, they've got to go in and they've got to work that law out. They've got to catch him in the act. But listen, to their supply, surprise, there's no sleuthing or entrapment necessary. They're dealing with a man who does not compromise as it concerns God. Verse 10. Listen to this faith. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel, upon first hearing the news of the decree, he does not stop to contemplate what his next course of action is. He doesn't think this one through. He doesn't bother with deciding and figuring out, well, how is it that I can still worship God and have my faith, but yet not be, be, be found in, in, uh, under a, an eye of suspicion by the government? He's not concerned with that. Knowing that it was illegal for him to do so, he went immediately into his home, he bowed his knees towards, towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. Key point, the righteous remnant will choose to follow God even if it means defying man. And, and I think that this is really important. And in fact, it's a huge point. It's a huge point in this series. This moment right now is a huge point in this series. And I think it's something that we need to, to clearly convey. Because there's a lot of us right now who recognize that there are authorities in our life who don't want us to come and worship. And I don't say that vaguely. I say that very specifically. I say that knowing that the Kansas City Art Institute has got, has got apps on your phones to track where you go. And in fact, if they knew that you were in this sanctuary right now, they would probably suspend you for two weeks. That's a local institution three blocks from here who does not want you here gathering with the saints today. I know for a fact that there are parents in this room who do not love the fact that you're here worshiping. And I know for a fact that there are believers, there are young people from this ministry that are in their homes right now because they're not allowed to be here. Now, I'm not here 
to give you any specific instruction. This is between you and the Lord. And I recognize that Romans 13 tells us that we need to submit ourselves to the authorities. But if we've learned anything about Acts, and if we learn anything about this series, that there is a time to defy man. Anytime, anytime someone comes in conflict, an institution, an authority, a person comes in conflict with our ability to worship, what are we going to do? It's not, it's not an issue of pragmatism, folks. It's an issue of faith. We don't need to sit and think about what we're supposed to do. Disciples of Christ don't have to do that. Disciples of Jesus Christ obey Jesus Christ. This is, this is incredibly important. And the reason I say this is because remember our very first message, Ezekiel chapter 14, when we studied that out, we talked about what it meant to be a remnant. A remnant means that we are going to stand in a generation of wickedness, of deception, who's constantly seeking to antagonize you and be hostile against your faith and seclude you. If they can't appropriate you and they can't cause you to bleed into their, into their Babylonian culture, then they want to isolate you and make you look like you're wrong. And we've got to decide what kind of person we're going to be in the face of that kind of hostility. And many people don't even know they're doing it. We live in a world of fear. We live in a world of fear. And so in a world of fear, the policies and the principles that guide it are going to be fear. Does this make sense to everybody? You've got to make hard decisions in a world like this. The righteous remnant, you know, listen, here's another point I want to make real quick. Notice that, notice that in the face of this conspiracy, that Daniel's not trying to expose the conspiracy. You know how many Christians in this world today spend all their time talking about the, uh, the conspiracies that they think surround the coming of the Antichrist? The amount of time that's wasted down the, the, the black hole of YouTube, looking for all the ways in which the government is out to get you. Listen to me. Daniel doesn't care about that. He's not seeking to fight conspiracy with, with you know, some sort of expose. Ah, I gotcha. There's no QAnon, right? Like, he's, he, Daniel doesn't start a blog right here. See, for him, the only thing he needed to do was walk with God the same way he walked with God the day before. In light of the conspiracy. Nothing changes. God doesn't change, and so neither will my faith. See, remember the mindset here is if I have to die, so be it, I choose God. That's, that's what we're talking about. And in Daniel's mind, he wouldn't have been able to help but to think back about his friends. We didn't cover it, but we've talked about it. He would have thought back in time, many, many years ago. These friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have probably passed on to be with God at this point in our story, in Daniel chapter 6. But he would have thought back upon his friends, 
The day that they were asked to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and worship the false idol, they said, kill us. Here's the very words. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor, nor worship the go a golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made? Well, but if ye, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now listen to the response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. That's powerful. And those thoughts are, are being recollected in Daniel's mind even now in da Daniel chapter 6. We know that. How could he not? Now, I want to point something else out to you. When he goes to pray and he goes and gets down on his knees in his house and he stands in front of that window, you know what it says? It says he gives thanks. He gives thanks. Now, let me just say, I struggle to give thanks when I'm depressed. When I'm frustrated, when I'm facing an uphill battle, I struggle to give thanks. Do you, do you struggle with that too? This dude knows that he's going to be thrown to lions. And he's in his house giving thanks. Listen, I just have to say it. That's a whole nother level, y'all. That's a whole nother level of, of, of faith. Key point, the righteous remnant is thankful despite unfavorable and discouraging circumstances. Remember that. Now, the question is, is this you? So Daniel prayed, and he prayed dynamically before the Lord. He prayed defiantly before man. And this is the climax of our story and the most pressing point that we need to make. See, as a young man, new to Babylon, Daniel refused to conform to the appetite of Nebuchadnezzar's unholy table. He refused to eat the king's meat. But now, as an old man with every excuse to just retire into the quiet of his home, he stands experienced and tried. Daniel refuses to submit to the authority of those who would keep him from worshiping his God. He refuses. As a remnant in 2020, do you share this same resolve? You know, many of us have had our faith rattled and our worship restricted over the last few months. But I want to quote, I want to quote Pastor Sam right here, okay? I, I think what he had to say is the most clear and pointed way of addressing this. This is his words. I would rather die worshiping than face the slow death of hiding in my home. And I have to say, I share that sentiment, and I believe Daniel did too. God is the priority over politicians and governments. God is the priority over college chancellors and, and presidents. God is the priority over pastors and instructors. 
God is the priority over parents and family, and God is the priority over friends and acquaintances. And he is either your savior and Lord in the secret places, as well as the public eye, or he's not. Either God's the same when you're in, in the quiet of your, of your prayer closet at home, or in the, in the quietness and the peaceableness of your Bible study where it seems so safe. If he's the same God there as he is in the public, then he's your savior and Lord. But if he's not the same, then you're fractured and you're a double-minded man and you are unstable and you are not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. He should be the same in your life in the quiet place as well as in the public. Do you understand? Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Purge, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored, labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He thought every way, because he loved Daniel, he thought in every way how he could get out of this situation, and he couldn't. That was the thing about the law of the Medes and the Persians. It, when you created a law, there was no going back on it, there was no amending it. It was just part of their cultural system. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians, that, that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now, now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought. Now think of the picture here. There's a parallel between Daniel here and Jesus Christ. I just want to point that out. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own sinnet, and with the, uh, with the sinnet of his lords, that the, the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his, king went, and, and his sleep went from him. In other words, he stayed up all night. No one could appease him. No one could bring him a meal. No, no one could play music to give him peace. He couldn't have any of it. He prayed and he fasted all night long. Then the king, this is a, this, by the way, this is a lost man. You understand? who's grieved in his spirit because the testimony of one person. See, I want that to be true for me. I want, I want the lost world to look at my life and value it so much so that any harm that would come to my cause would grieve them. I like to think that. I don't know. And when he came to the den, he cried. After all night, he comes back to the den. He cried with a lamentable voice unto, unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, ser servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Now listen to me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There's an enemy that wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. He wants to find your weaknesses and he wants to devour you. He wants to take you out. 
But we serve a God and a Savior who preserves us. He keeps us. He always has our best interest in mind. And so listen to me. Whether Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego die, whether Daniel gets eaten by the lions, whether Paul gets beaten, whether Paul's life is preserved, whether Peter is crucified for his faith or not, he's still our God. And he loves us and he has our best in mind and he keeps us and preserves us and he, he wants what's best for us. And guess what? He's got something better for us. 23. Then was the king exceeding glad, uh, glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no ma manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Listen to me. Key point. The righteous remnant carries closely the knowledge of who wins in the end. See, if, if you don't know who wins in the end, then you've got no hope in living. Like, you have every reason to despair if your life is tied to, to your breath. But I'm telling you right now, our king wins in the end. He wins. And he will judge your enemies. And the kingdoms of this world, just like in Daniel chapter 2, the kingdoms of this world, they will pass away. And a fervent heat will judge this earth. And those that call themselves believers, those that call themselves Christians, those of the righteous remnant, they're going to stand. They will be delivered. And we've got to know that, and we've got to carry that close to our heart because it's going to give us power from day to day to day. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So as, as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Here's the question. I, I know I went real fast there at the end. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. I would like to have gone slower. Don't have time. But listen, in this room right now, there are believers of all sorts. And some of you in this room, some of you in this room, you've been serving and you've been doing your Christian duty and you've been performing all the Christian things, and at the end of the day, you still feel as though you don't have hope. And the problem is, is that you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. Like, you have the ability to, to act like a good Christian, but at the end of the day, you have no power in your life. You've denied his power. You might call him God. You might have some sort of form of godliness, but you've denied his power. And it, gives you, it makes it difficult for you to engage your parents. It makes it hard for you at school. It makes it hard for you when your friends, your friends come to you and they've got questions and you feel empty. There's others of you in this room who have never become disciples of Jesus Christ. Maybe at one point in your life you put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and that's all that ever came of your faith. You've never learned to be his disciple. 
You need to do something about that today. You need to do something about that. Some of you have dueling authorities in your life. You serve two gods. Some of you are double-minded. Some of you let the conspirators of this world get over on you again and again and again. Now listen to me. If any of those things are true for you, if any of these things are a struggle for you, then I ask that you would come forward and pray with someone. And that you would begin to reckon these things rightly because who doesn't want to be like Daniel? Who doesn't want to stand righteous in this wicked and perverse and defiled generation that's seeking to sift you and to pull you away and to seal away your mind? Who doesn't want to stand righteous? I do, but I need to have faith. And if you know you need faith, come forward and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And in the little bit of time that we have right now, we want to worship you, and we want to lift you up, and we want to call you good. We want to call you creator. We want to call you faithful. We want to thank you for preserving our souls. We want to thank you for writing the end of the book and calling us victors and inheritors. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you've done for us. We never deserved it. You are a good and holy and righteous king, and your sorrow on our behalf we will never understand. But Lord, we also want to get things right. And if there is any, and if, if anybody could point fault at us and, and, and if there's any weakness in us and any area of life that is perverse and is unholy before you, Lord, we want to deal with those things right now. Help us, God. We do not want to be double-minded. We want to be single-minded. We want to be stable before you. And we want to say that despite our circumstances, we will have faith and we will believe you. We will suffer whatever, whatever may befall us. We'll suffer those things for your namesake because we believe in you. We ask for your help to have that kind of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.